Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Tonight's message, our lesson, or teaching is on biblical dating. Since we got mostly singles in here. Sorry to the like four people that aren't single. <laughs> it's just us, Candace, Jacob, Wayne, and Monique. Everybody else is single. Yeah. Oh, how many singles? I would say how many aren't single. Yeah. Three couples. Yeah, you can't have five singles. They can math. Because there's six people, the three couples. Yes. I can do math. You do math good. All right. You do math good. All right. Biblical dating. I'm going to give you the synopsis of the whole lesson. Dating is not biblical. (laughs) Congratulations. There is actually no dating anywhere in the Bible. Not by godly people anyway. It's a construct that's been adopted from the Gentiles or the pagan cultures. But we will go through what the Bible does say about seeking the right spouse. And some examples in scripture of the ones who did it right and the ones who did it wrong. Some of the youth we've talked with before in giving them godly counsel and advice, but we've never actually done a lesson where we really looked at it in scripture. So we're going to do that tonight. And I would say that for anybody, and not only those here, but those by podcast who may listen to this later, um, immediately when you think of that concept, when you say dating is not biblical, the pride and the, the, the mind just starts freaking out. So many people get so uptight and uh, the truth of the matter is, is that if your flesh immediately wants to buck the idea that dating can be detrimental, It's because it's a huge area of lust, of self-will, of uncircumcised or uncrucified flesh, and pride. Anytime your flesh wants to do something and it has a justification for it, it makes it a lot more difficult to just determine that it's not okay. And you can't break free of something until you realize that I have to break agreement with this. I have to do it God's way. And when you don't want to come to terms with that, it's easy to come into agreement with the culture. But there is a right way to do it biblically and there is a wrong way to do it biblically. And a lot of the problems in the culture and a lot of the hurts and messed up people and kids are because it's being done the wrong way. So you don't keep holding on to the wrong just because you want to have your little experience of messing up too. There is nothing good that can come of it. It's only detrimental. It, it, sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, it brings death. We have to be willing to give up our will to serve God, to do things the right way. In order to give up this area of self-will, of lust, of uncrucified flesh, and of pride, it would take a huge amount of trust in God, of trust in His love, in his wisdom, in his omnipotence. In other words, it would take faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 says, 
flee also. Youthful lust flee means run away, get away from it as quickly as you can. Useful lust, lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And Galatians 5, 24 says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. If we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. To be truly a Christian, you have to be able to crucify the flesh, the lust and the affections, the things that your flesh wants to seek the Lord for what he wants and to do his will in your life. But you have to have enough faith in God that he is love and he truly wants what's best for you in order to be able to do that. We think we know what's right. We think we know what's good. But it doesn't take very long to start figuring out that no, you don't. When you start making your own decisions, you will see that they usually don't end very well. But when you trust in God, it will work out. So have the faith in his love that you would give up your will for his will and that it will turn out better and seek him. So for this, we're going to go to Genesis 24. You can start in verse 1. I'm going to read it from the screen. All right, this is when Abraham was looking for a wife for Isaac. He was seeking a wife for his son. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Remember, Abraham had gotten a promise that they would inherit this land. It would come through his lineage. All these things would happen. But Abraham would have probably also maybe known that there was a curse from back in Noah's time placed on the Canaanites. So if his son takes a wife of the Canaanite, there's no way he can get the blessing if they're already a cursed lineage. So he said, I don't take a wife of the Canaanites. Go back and find him the right one, the one that the Lord wants for him back in this other country because God had told him to sojourn in the land of the Canaanites because God was going to take the land from the Canaanites and give it unto the descendants of Abraham. But he didn't want him to incorporate with them. He wanted them to have faith that God would take it from them and give it to them. So he couldn't mix with the Canaanite. God didn't want the wrong wife or the wrong husband if it brought the wrong religion into the family. They, they had to be equally yoked. And so anytime that you'll see that with, with like, for example, King Solomon, he took wives from other religions. Yeah, a whole lot of them. Yeah, he had a problem. But it destroyed him. It, it really is what, and it destroyed the kingdom because it brought in all of these evil, wicked things into the bloodlines and into the culture. So Abraham's old and he can't do this himself. So he gets his oldest servant who runs everything for him and makes him swear. I need you to find a, the wife for my son, but it cannot be a Canaanite. Go back to the land that I came from and find him a wife there. 
And the servant said unto him, Preventure, what if the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land? Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou comest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. So Abraham's believing he's living for the promise. No, don't bring my son there. God told us to come here in faith. We're going to leave for the land here. But you've got to find a wife there and bring her here also. And so the guy's like, what if she won't come? And so then Abraham says this, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. So Abraham saying, I have faith. God took me out of that land. He sent me here. He'll do what he needs to do to fulfill this destiny. He has a wife for my son. He'll send an angel before you to work everything out. Just go. Trust in the Lord. He doesn't even know where he's going. He's like, but now is the time. God's going to work this out. Go find the woman. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of this, my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. He's like, if, if what I'm saying doesn't happen, then don't worry about it. You're not going to be held to the oath. You're free of it. But he's not going back there because God told us to come here. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning that matter. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahar. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. So he just comes to this city. He stops for water with his camels. And then the servant starts praying. So when you need to seek a godly spouse, the first thing you need to do, one, trust the Lord and don't go trying to find one on your own. Two, you got to pray about it. You've got to ask the Lord. You've got to ask him to guide you, to lead you, to give you confirmation if it's the right one. You've got to wait and not just act. You've got to seek him for signs and he'll show you. But it says, and he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for my servant Isaac. This is important. He's praying to God. There's a point here being made that there is one woman that God has appointed to be Isaac's wife. And this servant understands that he's got to find the one. So let me make it very clear. There's what, like about 9 billion people on the planet right now? So you can make about 9 billion mistakes, but there's only one that's right. So you cannot find it on your own. You're going to have to seek the Lord. 
and nothing else is going to work out. You will not walk in your calling or your destiny if you don't find the other part to that calling and that destiny. God spends his whole life preparing you for your calling and your purpose. Do you think he's doing it just to you? He's doing it to the other part of that purpose and that destiny, to the other part of that ministry. God prepared me for this ministry. God prepared Danny for this ministry. And we had to seek the Lord and be obedient to what the Lord said in order for it to come together to the fullness of what God wanted. If you do it your own way, like many do, that's why you end up with so many Jezebels married to Ahabs. When people make their own decisions on their own lust and the whole congregation suffers because of it. Or your whole family. Or you lose your calling and your ministry and your purpose because you cannot walk out the fullness of what God has for you on your own. There is somebody there that's meant. So be patient and seek the Lord and pray about it. There was somebody appointed. Now, I love the the fleece before the Lord because he's also testing character. He's saying, when I ask the girl for a drink of water, let her reply to me, I will give you water, but also all of your camels. A camel drinks about 90 gallons of water. And he had, what, nine of them, I think it said? Or nine, ten? He had ten of them. Do you know how heavy a gallon of water is coming up from a well? She had a servant's heart. You're looking for a spouse or somebody that serves the Lord, you better look for a servant's heart. Because if you look for, for the Jezebels will love to be served. They will love to get attention. They will love to get things. But the one that the Lord has will have a servant's heart. They'll help you for those who are called to ministry, which I think all of our boys are. They will help you tend to the flock. She didn't just offer him a drink of water, but all of the flock that was with him. The one that the Lord had appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking, while he's still praying, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahar, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair, so she was pretty. Because the first thing that every fleshly young person thinks is, oh, if I have to let God choose for me, what if he picks somebody ugly? (laughs) So be encouraged. Be encouraged. God made you. God knows what you need. You're going to have to trust him. But it says she was very, very fair to look upon. A virgin, neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. So that's not so bad. She already drew her pitcher. He's just asking for a little drink from it. That's that's not so much work. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she haste to let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. She was hospitable. She was tender and caring. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Until they've drank all that they want to drink. So on average, about 90 gallons per 
camel, but you know, they could have drank more because she said, I'll give them all that they want. That's a servant's heart. Let's go a little more. I don't know how far we're going to go. Just a little more, maybe. And the man wandering at her held his peace. So he didn't jump right away. All right. So you can just give up this, oh, we're talking stuff. So he didn't act right away. He didn't jump out. He didn't offer. He's sitting back and he's still praying and he's wondering. And I would tell you that it's wise. Don't go around putting your heart on your sleeve or telling every girl that you meet. The Lord says we're supposed to be together. You know? That's a pretty good pick of life. Oh my goodness. <laughs> if she's been in church any length of time, it's not going to be the first time she heard it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and Danny's Bible College. What was it? B World Evangelism Bridal College. That's what they called it. It was a World Evangelism Bible College, but they World called Evangelism Bridal Bible College because that's everywhere you go. The Lord says we're meant to be together. That, that's true of every Bible college. <laughs> All singles in the, in the college age that are in ministry going into ministry. So, oh, really? Well, I'm going to have to seek the Lord on that one myself. Yeah. Wait, seek the Lord, pray it out, put your fleece before the Lord. And the man wandering at her held his peace whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden ring of half a shekel's weight and two bracelets for her hands and ten shekels weight of gold, and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahar. She said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. The Lord led him to the right one. Abraham had said to get someone from, from his hometown, from his, his own lineage. And the Lord led him to the right one. There is a right one. The Lord will lead you to the right one. Have patience to ask, to seek, to pray, and to wait, and to make sure you get those confirmations. Because if it is the Lord, it will work. If it is not the Lord, you will end up with all manner of scores and baggage and problems that will actually take you longer to work out of you before the Lord gives you the right one. He prayed for the right one. The Lord led him to the right one. He waited and tested the Spirit for confirmation. He tested her character for the fruits of the Spirit before there was any talk of commitment. So, the first point we need to get in our mind is that Christians don't look for girlfriends and boyfriends. They look for spouses. I'm just going to put it to you straightforward right now. There is no dating around in Scripture. It's, it's not okay. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do it, and he'll never be okay with it because it's only going to cause hurt. He will lead you to your spouse. And I'm not saying you're going to meet them and get married right away. There is, I mean, even um, Mary and Joseph had a time of engagement. But 
they didn't date 10 or 20 different people while they were trying to figure out who God wanted them with either. They did what the Lord said. God leads you to them. But I've seen, and you know, the devil likes to throw the counterfeits. The counterfeits will usually come right before the real, and they'll usually be a lot like what the real one will be. But there's going to be some trickery there. You can't trust your own what you think. You're gonna have to seek the Lord. He's the only one that knows the heart. So, some practical advice and truths. If the person isn't somebody that you would marry, why would you date them? I've seen so many people, just because it's the only girl in the room, everybody's after her. Are you kidding me? Would you marry her? Or just because he's the guy on the football team, everybody wants to date him, would you marry him? You're playing with danger because if you date someone that you don't want to marry and you end up with a kid in the situation, then you are forever bound and tied to a person that you can't stand, that you are miserable with, to a crazy person. Do you know how many people I know who who are alcoholics because they are bound to a crazy person that they were never called to be with, a Jezebel. You set yourself up. You're really dancing with the devil because if the devil can't get to you, he's going to get to the ones closest to you. So why put people around you that he can easily use? You've got to trust the Lord to bring the right one that's got the the spiritual equipping and the training through their life experience to handle the spiritual attacks that are going to come against you and your calling. Or else you'll do damage not only to you, but to them. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I'll tell you this. One of the biggest mistakes that I've seen done, and I think this was probably the mistake that I made with my ex, is that God brings people into your life as assignments for you to work on, for you to witness to, for you to bring to church, for you to lead to God. And you'll see some of the signs of God bringing that person into your life. And I've seen it so many times where people were like, well, we're meant to be together because this, this, and this happened. And and we're supposed to be around each other. And I can just see all this. And it's like, just because God caused you to come together doesn't mean he wants you to date or marry. A lot of times God does bring people into your life just for you to be able to bring them to the Lord or to give them your testimony. That I've seen so many people date assignments and it destroyed the assignment and ended up setting them back years. It was never meant to be. So even if you're getting a few signs, don't act too quick. Do what the servant did. Wait it out. Pray it out. Seek the Lord. Make sure you know. God is very capable of making it very obvious. The problem is, is you have to wait until you know before you act. Most people start moving into relationships before they know, and they're like, oh, well, if it's God, it'll work out, and if it's not, it won't. That's not a gamble you want to make. Samson played around and saw how that worked out. He lost his calling, his ministry, his anointing, his strength, his years, his eyes, and eventually his life. Playing with Delilah. Oh, if it's not meant to be, it won't work out. Well, no, it won't work out. That's how it's going to end up. Hey there, Delilah. You said goodbye, Delilah. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. 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 All right. Another thing we have to remember is that you can find the right person, but it might not be the right time. I've seen stuff messed up with that. I knew that me and Pastor Daniel were supposed to be together a couple years before we were together. Because even though I knew it was the right person, it wasn't the right time. And I never told him that I knew that because I wanted the Lord to tell him that. 
because he needed to hear that from the Lord so that the devil couldn't come back and say, well, she just put that in your head. So I never told him anything. And then a few years later, when he's like, I think the Lord's saying that we're supposed to be together, then I was like, okay, I agree with that because I know that, but I still don't know if it's the time we're going to pray and fast and seek this out and make sure that it's time. Because if it's not time and there's stuff still not worked out and the devil gets in and messes stuff up, that can cause more damage. I've seen people that I truly believe were meant to be together, but the Lord kept saying, wait, wait, wait. And they didn't wait. And they weren't spiritually pure yet. They weren't, there were things that God needed to work out of them, one or the other. And they didn't get their full maturing or deliverance. And so they ended up working against each other and hurting each other. And so many scars built up that they ended up hating each other. And what was supposed to be got completely destroyed because they didn't listen when God said, wait. And there were other Jezebels and issues in the, in the midst of it causing problems in the middle of all of it that God would have worked all out had they just waited. You have to trust the Lord completely. Seek Him for the yes or the no. If you get the yes, then you have to get the is it right now. And we're going to talk a little bit later about why that's so important. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The Bible is very clear. If you, if you have children, you are required to provide for your children. Another reason why dating is not biblical, because it's selfish. If you don't know that this is the person that you're supposed to be with and that you're going to marry, and you're dating just to fulfill your own lust, and you end up with children, you have brought children into the world for your own pleasure, and you brought them in selfishly, and so now you have a choice. You either do what's right and you take care of them, or you continue in your selfishness and you continue taking care of yourself. But the Bible makes it very clear that if you do not tend to your own children, it says you're worse than an infidel and you are not part of the faith because you're not obeying what the Word says to do. Now we understand that there are circumstances with disabilities or injuries or sometimes parents die and the kids are on their own, there are orphans, there are things like that. But for those who just wanted their flesh to be pleased and ended up with children and then left their responsibility. Until they tend to those children and repent and fix that, they can't go to heaven. I don't care how much church they go to. I don't care how much hooping and hollering they do. They're not in alignment with this the word of God. Yes. You deny the faith because you're not in agreement with it. So I think that if the mindset was more dead set on the fact that I'm with this person and if this leads to a child, I am bound to this for the rest of my life. People would make wiser decisions, but they're thinking about themselves. But as Christians, you never think about yourself. You always think about others. And these children end up untended to, hurt, abandoned, full of issues, and then the enemy gets in and causes all kinds of problems and attachments and abandonment issues and then later on in life you you have to deal with getting all that delivered and cast out of them and get all that healed because of all of the hurts that were caused by an act of selfishness dating can only lead to distractions temptations disappointment discouragement 
division, how much division has dating in the church caused unnecessarily? People who should have been ministering and working together now divided and pit against each other because they all liked the same girl or they all liked the same boy or they used to be friends but now they are enemies or they were supposed to be in ministry together later but now they hate each other because they dated the one the other one liked and now there's division and it's all completely unnecessary because nobody sought the Lord and waited. They just wanted to please their own flesh. It causes division. Broken friendships... It destroys purposes. It causes unnecessary pain and bitterness. Nothing good can come from the wrong relationship. It's completely a work of the enemy. Now, I'm not saying that when you find the right one that it's all easy. Because it's still a relationship. And relationships take work. God instituted the purpose of marriage to make you more selfless to chip away more flesh. Uh, we joke about it. We heard the pastor one time talking, he was doing marriage counsel and, and these two were just going at it, going at it, going at it, blaming each other for everything. And he stopped them and he said, I think the problem is, is that you think marriage is supposed to make you happy. Marriage is meant to kill you. <laughs> it's meant to kill your flesh. God's like, how do I keep my children from being spoiled and selfish we'll make them live together but we'll make them completely opposite and if that doesn't work we'll give them kids <laughs> so and that is true everybody has this this fairy tale disney idea of marriage it's difficult and any problems that you have are not going to be fixed by marriage they're going to be compounded by the stress of marriage so you need to let God work on you so you can get a step up already in your spiritual walk and your strength so that when you step into the marriage, you're, you're already standing on solid ground and feet and then you can start working further. And then once he gets you stronger in that, he'll give you kids and then you'll go a little further. But if you jump in the deep end before you can swim, it's going to be a whole lot more difficult. So have patience. As Christians, we ask God, what's the best job? Everybody prays about what job to get. What's the best deal on a car? I don't want to get a lemon that's going to be all messed up. Where to live or buy a house. But when it comes to the most important decision of your life, you don't ask God first. We don't look at dating as important as it is. When, when you're pursuing a person, this, is going to, this could end up being the most important decision of your life. Who you end up with forever. It's going to affect everything. You don't seek. You don't wait. You just trust your emotions that are so easily deceived and manipulated by the enemy. You trust yourself completely. And then we wonder why divorce is so high in the church. We aren't teaching wisdom in seeking a lifelong spouse and ministry partner. I think more churches ought to teach it. Most justify trusting God's will over their own in every area except in choosing a spouse. That's the area that most will not let go. And it shows in the modern church. Pastors are married to Jezebels. There's rampant divorce among the laity. Weak, tired, handicapped, unequally yoked ministries. God is preparing you for a purpose, a calling, a ministry but you're only half of it. He is preparing someone else for that same ministry and they will have what you lack 
and need to complete the destiny that God has planned. Choosing your own spouse is like Esau's soup. It can cause you to forfeit God's plan for you. We all know the story of Esau. He was supposed to inherit this birthright, but he liked to jump at what pleased his flesh. He had no self-control or discipline. So when he come back hungry and his brother had this bowl of soup, this food, he just jumped at it. He wanted it. He had to have the food. And so his brother's like, sell me your birthright. And he's like, I can't. Okay, here. What does it matter? I'm going to die anyway. I'm going to starve to death. He was a little melodramatic. I don't think he would have starved to death. And it was just some old red lentil soup, some bean soup. He was used to getting what he wanted and pleasing his flesh in the quick. And in actuality, the soup wasn't the issue. The soup isn't even what cost him his inheritance. That was just a manifestation of his character. Because he did the same thing later in picking a wife. And it was actually in the picking of his wife that he really lost the inheritance. The soup was just a manifestation of a characteristic that was already there. His real issue was that he chose the wrong. The real reason, because you know, we read that verse where it talks about God says that after Esau saw the inheritance and what he was going to be able to inherit, he repented with weeping, but it was too late and he couldn't get it. And I think that that correlates more so to when his father blessed his brother. Because it says that at that point, he tried to get another wife, but he still had the wrong wives. He, he didn't repent and change. He tried to add something to and play both parts, but it didn't work. He had already lost the inheritance and there was a reason for it. God tells us to do things for a reason. We walk promises out in faith. We obey him because he's setting the stage. We have to trust that he knows better than we do. I have to trust that God knows what is needed. When me and Danny, when we got our confirmations and we prayed and the Lord said, yes, you're supposed to be together and yes, now is the time. And so we started officially dating, which... I mean, engagement, I guess, because you knew we knew we were going to get married or we wouldn't have dated before we did. It wasn't a few weeks before Danny gave me a ring and we were only engaged or dated or whatever for like three months and then we got married, right? Because if God says it's going to be, it's going to be. Yeah, we went straight to engagement and then we got married within three months. Three months, and I remember it was like, oh, that's quick. And then the thing that new week was three months quick. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. You knew. But whenever we got married, Danny moved over here, and it wasn't but a little while after that that Daddy had his heart attack. And everything was already in place. The church didn't miss a beat because Danny was already here. I mean, before that, he was in Baton Rouge, but now he's here. He's living right next to the church. He's already set up with everything with the church. Daddy went down, Danny went up, everything fell in place. The church never missed a beat. There wasn't ever a closed door day that, you know, God knew what he was doing. He was setting everything in motion. And you have to trust God to know what's best. Esau just wanted what he wanted for him. Me and Danny could have made the decisions in and of ourselves. Well, I don't really want this. I don't want that person. I want what I want. 
But as a Christian, you have to want what God wants. And you have to trust that he knows what's best for you. And ultimately, he wants what's good for you. But also what's good for everyone around you. Because what was good for me and what was good for Danny was also good for the whole congregation. And we can't make decisions just for ourselves and think that it's going to affect just ourselves. Every decision we make affects everyone around us and all those that we're meant to affect. We don't know all the people that we're meant to affect that we'll never even encounter if we're with the wrong person. So this is what happened with Esau. Genesis 26, verse 34. Esau took actually three wives. The first two, as Jacob said, he took in spite of his parents. The Bible says that he hated or he despised his birthright. The literal translation of that word is meant he took it lightly. He didn't really have faith in it. He didn't take it seriously. God had given a promise. He didn't take it seriously. His parents tried to warn him, don't marry the Canaanite. You can't inherit the promise if your descendants are Canaanite because that's not the way this is going to work out. There's a curse on the Canaanites. There's already a prophecy given that our descendants will overtake the Canaanites and God will give this land to us. If you marry them, you can't inherit it. He didn't take it seriously. So he married a Canaanite. That's the real reason he couldn't get the promise back. He didn't believe. It was unbelief. He didn't take the, 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 it seriously enough to do what needed to be done, to sacrifice. If you truly believe God and believe what he says and believe in his promises, you're going to have to sacrifice in order to get them. Or you think it's a sacrifice, but on the other end, it's really what's best for you. Even Jesus, he sacrificed, but on the end of it, it was what was best. It was good. He was blessed. It all turned out right. It's the same thing for us. It seems like a sacrifice in the moment, but it's really for what's best. And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Apparently, these were like some really, really, really bad daughter-in-laws. Like, I think this is probably even beyond just them being grieved that he had given up the promise. These girls were bad news. They were bad spirits. Genesis 27, verse 46, we pick up the story again. It says, and Rebekah, which was Esau's mom, and Isaac, his dad, said, Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? They were such a problem. She was like, I don't even want to live anymore. Please, we cannot let our other son marry girls like these. Or it's not even worth me living anymore. I am so miserable from these girls. Because remember at that time, the, the, the brides came to live with the son at the father's house. So she, these girls would have been living with her and she just, they were, they were terrible. So we see that with Esau, which he didn't care. He just wanted what he wanted. The food was just a characteristic that manifested in every area of his life. He was a man that wanted to please his flesh and made his own decisions according to what pleased him. He disregarded God's wisdom and wishes. He wanted what he thought 
he wanted and it cost him everything that he actually wanted because God knew what he would want better than he did, but he didn't have faith for that until it was too late. Though he repented with tears, it was too late. In the next chapter, Genesis 28, verse 1, it says, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Down in verse 6, it says, And when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padon Aram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother, and was gone to Padan Amrim. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had, Mathalah Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth, to be his wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he tries to kind of fix it, but not really. He takes a third wife, but the problem is still there. His descendants would still be mixed with the curse. And the bloodline had to be pure because Jesus was going to come from that bloodline. It couldn't come from a a cursed bloodline. He mixed obedience with disobedience to try to get the blessing while still getting what he wanted. Actually, this is where the Edomites come from, which were a problem all through Scripture. He kept trying to make his own way, his own decisions, and it was flesh compounded. And from Edom you get Idumea, which also becomes Herod the Great. Herod. A whole lot of Herod coming out of Edom. Mm-hmm. Which is Esau. All these problems. Because he didn't. says, I'm shopping. Waiting says, God has chosen. That's good. I like that. I I used to always say, if if you're out there trying to pick, it makes it so easy for the devil to put an apple in front of you and just give you the wrong thing. But if you're waiting on the Lord, he's going to bring you the right thing. Esau mixed obedience with disobedience to try to get the blessing while still getting what he wanted. That is not true repentance, and it will not work with God. This is the real reason that Esau lost the inheritance, because he wanted what his flesh wanted and didn't have enough faith in the promise and the words of God to live in faith for them, or else he never would have married Canaanites because they couldn't inherit the promise. So because of his lust, selfishness, and lack of taking the promises of God, and the inheritance serious, he forfeited it. His lineage could not inherit the promise because they were Canaanite. There was mixture, compromise. It was cursed. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. Paul was telling them, you're like my children, so I'm trying to teach you something here. Be ye also enlarged. I want you to get married and have children. It's like, you're like my children, and I want you to be blessed and multiply and and be enlarged. But he gives them a warning. Be ye not unequally yoked. And I, I give you this from the New Testament just in case you think, oh, well, that's just all Old Testament. That doesn't apply now. No, in the New Testament, it still says, don't be unequally yoked. 
together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father to you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God is still commanding that we not be unequally yoked. It's not wise to go looking for a wife in a club. You're not going to get much. You were fishing in the wrong pond. But the truth is you really shouldn't be fishing at all. You should be waiting for the Lord to bring you the right one. Because if you're fishing, the devil can always put a counterfeit. And he'll make it look real, real good. That apple was pleasing to the eye. And that's the importance of waiting on God's timing also, is that God has to work on you, and he has to work on them. Now, I see it all the time where people are waiting for a spouse, and they're praying, and they're like, they are doing something wrong. I can feel it in the spirit. Oh, they're with the Jezebel, and it's holding me up. No. The Israelites were in the wilderness because God was working on them. Okay? They could have got to the promise quicker. God didn't have to fix the promised land. He had to fix them. If you haven't walked into your calling yet, it's probably because he's trying to work things out of you because you would ruin that marriage the way you are. I know a few that are like that specifically, and I'm like, and I'm thinking in my heart, I'm like, sweetheart, if you got married, you would destroy that dude. Like, it's just not okay. Like, you are not okay. You cannot be a wife right now. You've got to get these things worked out. Uh, it goes back to what I've said before. And it is more important that you become the right person than trying to find the right person. The wrong person can ruin you, your congregation, your calling, your destiny. We talked about Samson. We have to also remember Ahab. Ahab was not supposed to marry Jezebel. Ahab did not have to become known as the worst king in Israel's history. Jezebel had a whole lot to do with that. The wife that you pick or the husband can really destroy what you're supposed to be. You might think you know someone, but only God knows the heart. They can put on the perfect front. They can say the right words, but God knows what's in the heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his doing. Only God knows what's in the heart. You better seek him and trust him for the person and for the timing. Because there are people that you might look at and you will think there is no way that person will ever amount to anything, but God knows the heart. And he can turn that person into the next Nathan Morris. But you got to wait for the right timing. And then there are those that we would look at and we would think, man, they're just perfect. They're, everything about them is just great. It's just perfect, but God knows the heart. And they can turn into the next Hitler. Trust him. Yeah. Remember, 
There's like nine billion wrong choices and only one right. Don't be so arrogant to think that you can find it. You have to get some help from the Lord on this. Okay, dating in a church. We've all experienced that. Well, maybe not those that were raised in this church, but the older ones that have been in other churches. There have been such dramas and churches torn apart by dating in the church. Youth groups getting busted up. Everybody fighting. So much complication. Unnecessary damage. Time wasted with the wrong person. I know I lost seven years with the wrong person. I didn't know all of these things. I thought as long as you seek a Christian and they say they love the Lord and they're doing right, then that's all you need to do. So that's what I did, but he was fake. Trust the Lord. He knows the heart. I lost seven years on a counterfeit. You don't want to waste time in the wilderness. And here's the thing. You're young. If you seek the Lord and he brings you the right one young, it's a lot easier. Once you're with the wrong one, then it's going to take probably another seven years it took on the other side of the seven years that I lost to undo all the damage and get everything back on track before me and Danny could get together. You lose a lot of time. You cause a lot of wounds. You get a lot of spirits, right? That's right. Broken children come out of it. Broken hearts. They're not strong enough to stand in your calling. I'm about to open the floor for questions and testimonies, but this is something that we have to cover too as we do this. Remember, the Israelites weren't delayed in the wilderness because the promise wasn't ready for them. They were delayed because they weren't ready for the promise. So take some time, like Danny said, to let the Lord fix you and make you the right one. Focus right now on fixing you because a spouse won't do it. That the devil puts this idea in your heart and your mind that if you're married, then it's going to fix all your problems. It won't. The problems will only be compounded because the person that God wants you to be with, he will give you. But you're going to have to wait for not only you. You're going to have to wait for them. You're going to have to seek the Lord. You might not have to wait. If you get, if you get this in your spirit young, God can probably bring you together quick without having to do a whole lot of fixing. But the more damage you do to the situation, the worse it gets. Don't take matters into your own hands or you'll just get deceived and mess things up over and over again. Only God knows the heart and what's in it. Trust him with all of your decisions, much less the biggest ones. All right, pull up 1 Corinthians 6.15. This is my last verse and then we're going to open the floor. 1 Corinthians 6.15. This is another problem. This is why dating is dangerous, why it causes a lot of problems and slows things down. This is also why you have to wait for God's timing. Paul tells the church of Corinth, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. We know fornication is premarital sexual relations. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? 
Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right. Simply, Jesus paid for us with a price. We belong to God. We're not of ourselves. We do not live for ourselves. We do what he says because he knows what's best. But there's a section before that that Paul touches on very shortly. The Bible says that when the two become one, they have one flesh and they join in spirit. That means that any time that you are in a sexual relationship, married or unmarried, the spirits in one person are in the other. There's a transfer of spirits. So if you're sleeping with different people, then you're also taking on all of their spirits. You don't have to do witchcraft or drugs or voodoo to get all their demons. All you have to do is sleep with them. That's why witchcraft and the occult always incorporates sexual things into their rituals because they're transferring spirits. It will happen every time. Don't it, It's not like an STD where you're hoping maybe it won't happen. Yeah, it, STD is it's spiritual. It is. It's spiritual. <laughs> It will happen. This is the importance, one, of not committing fornication. And I've had this talk. I had this talk with a young girl one time. And she, when I said it, she turned white as a ghost. She said, oh, my God. She said, that makes perfect sense. She said, I have never in my life had suicidal thoughts. She said, but lately, the last week, I've been fighting these thoughts. She said, but my boyfriend, who she was sleeping with, has suicidal thoughts. And so we ended up having to do deliverance for suicidal thoughts because the spirit of suicide was now in her because she was connected. He says, temple, we are a temple. When the two become one, it is one temple. Therefore, whatever spirit indwells and inhabits that temple inhabits both temples. So whatever they have, you have one body. Now, this is the importance of waiting on God's timing because he might have the right person, but there might still be some things that he's got to work out of that person. And if God hasn't dealt, maybe they have uh, an oppression from their childhood that hasn't fully been dealt with yet. And you're wanting to rush things. And now you're fighting a battle with a spirit that you don't know how to deal with. Or you get married and you have kids and now you're fighting that battle in your children because you didn't wait for the Lord to deal with with what needed to be dealt with. Amen. You need work. They need work. But above all, just remember, you're dating, you're playing around, you're getting into temptation unnecessarily. Would you walk into a room and sit down at a seance and just start playing with a Ouija board or start summoning demons or start asking for all these crazy spirits to come into you? No, you wouldn't do it. Then why go make out with a girl or a boy that's full of those same spirits and going to do the same thing. Oh, I, I, I can stop. I can tempt it. I can test it. No. Lead me not into temptation. The Lord won't. He will give you wisdom and he will lead you in the right direction and in the right timing. He has what's good for you. Learn to seek him for it and trust him with it. The floor is open if there's any questions. Anybody have questions? Oh, I had somebody had asked a question about when we were talking about this about a week ago. How do you know it's the right one? Well, you have to seek the Lord. You're going to have to take some time to pray. Just like the servant did. He asked God for signs. He asked God 
for confirmations. He checked her character. In Corinthians, when it talks about the characteristics of charity, which is actually God or agape, you know, it says if you have all of these things, pull it up for me. Uh, check the fruits of the Spirit. Do they have those characteristics? Check the characteristics of real love because lust is not love. You're going to have to seek the Lord on it. And we all know you pray. He gives you signs. He'll give you scriptures. He'll give you sermons. He'll give you radio messages. He'll give you songs. He'll give you, and everything will line up. And it may not be a paragraph long conversation, but you should be able to pick up yes, no, wait, usually wait. The one we don't like is the one we get the most, wait. Follow his instructions. Yeah, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have, go down to the part where it's like love is, love is, or charity is, charity is. Okay, so think of the person that you like, and do they fit these characteristics? For example, Daniel, I'm looking for Pastor Daniel. Is he long-suffering? Is he kind? Does he not envy? Does he vaunt not himself? Is he not puffed up? <laughs> In other words, is he humble? Go to the next one. Does he behave himself unseemingly? Does he seek after his own? In other words, is he selfish and look for the things that only he wants like Esau did? Is he easily provoked? Does he think up evil things? Does he rejoice in iniquity? Or does he rejoice in truth? These are good things to test. And yes, people are growing in grace so we can grow in these areas. But if you look at this list and the person that you're pursuing can't even match two or three on the list, then I don't think God is sending them. <laughs> and definitely not right now, for sure. Let me hit this one real quick because this is the one the devil gets everybody on. Missionary dating. I'm going to get them saved. Let me tell you something. You have more influence on a person that you're not dating than you have on a person once you start dating. You think you have influence because you're dating. I'm telling you, once you start dating, you have no more influence. Maybe for a week, maybe. Then you have no more influence. They will not listen to you at all. You have more influence on strangers. Or even if somebody likes you but you're not dating, you'll have more influence on them. You will not be able to save somebody once you're married. In fact, once they're committed and married, things will only get worse because now they have no motivation. You can't save anyone, only God can. I can tell you from my experience, I didn't know these things. I made a mistake. I lost seven years. And then I lost some years after that where God had to pull all that stuff out and get me ready for the new one. Sad thing is, is I knew Danny before. We could have been there. We could have we could have towers built by now. But and I know also Pastor Daniel made some mistakes beforehand too. And and there are ministries that I know that we're supposed to be connected with right now that we're not because he dated a girl that's now hates my guts just because of who I am. I, I never did or anything, but it's just because of who I am. And I know because of the spirit that, that was, they were supposed to be leading a ministry in Baton Rouge that we would be connected with that would have continued. That's not really continuing now. You don't know the consequences of a simple decision. There's many consequences to any one decision, much more than the surface consequences. Yeah. And you don't know how serious a situation it is because you only see the soup in the moment. You don't see the inheritance that you're going to miss.
So we're going to pray tonight for all the single people, for their spouses, and you're going to start praying at home. Uh, to me, the word dating implies dating different people and looking around and fishing and shopping. You're shopping. But like when me and Danny dated, we before we even said, okay, yes, we'll come together, we already knew we were going to get married. Now, he hadn't proposed yet or gotten the ring, you know, and it was only a few weeks before he did. And at that point, we called it being engaged. So, you know, if you have a time of dating, that's fine. But you have to go into it already knowing that I'm, I'm committed. I'm okay marrying this person. The Lord has already showed me I have confidence. I'm going to stick it out. You're going to be committed. You're not playing games. The, the real key is why would you ever get into a relationship with someone that you couldn't see yourself marrying? You are setting yourself up for all kinds of trouble for the rest of your life. It can't be a selfish decision. You have to seek the Lord. This is the biggest decision of your life, and, and we treat it so nonchalant. We put more concern and worry into picking a car than we do into picking who we're going to date when it's really the biggest decision of your life. I made one mistake, and I learned from that one mistake, but I will tell you this. God knows the heart, and you have to seek the Lord because my one mistake looked right. He played the part. He said the right things. Everything seemed right. And it turned out to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Everything wrong. Everything fell apart. Burned out, messed everything up. After that, I learned the lesson. I was like, okay, well, Lord, obviously I can't pick. You pick. And so he told me, Pastor Daniel. Now I told y'all, I knew for a couple of years before he did, I didn't say anything. In that couple of years, there were many times where I was like, are you sure? Huh? Because y'all all, no, y'all know his past. He was running from the Lord. There was some, there was problems. And, and there were many times where God would have me have to give him words or show me things that were going on. And I'd be like, there is no way. So what looked right was not right. And what didn't look right was right. God knew in the end it worked and now every so you cannot trust what yeah. you see or what you think. Right. You have to see the Lord. They are. Amen. So I, I hope if anything this can seek in and and I, I my hope is that you would take it to heart and do it and avoid all of the snake bites. But even if you don't, at least maybe when that snake bite comes, you'll remember this and be like, okay, yeah, maybe next time I might try it God's way. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.